Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The history of the word of God is one of reformation. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that uh, the word of God comes uh, and then it goes. And why is a fair enough question. Why does God not always have his word do all that it would do? The answer is not always so satisfying to sinners like us. The answer is because we won't let him. You might say, well, how does the almighty God let that thing happen? And the answer is to punish you. To chastise you. So that you'll remember you need him. But what about those who don't repent? Well, they're stored up for the day of judgment. That's what they are. And on the day of judgment, when they're cast into the fire, we'll stand alongside Jesus and say, hallelujah. So it is. Thanks be to God for his love and mercy and steadfast kindness. Reformation, then, is when the word of God breaks through. And this is not just a matter of Dr. Martin Luther, and I don't want to diminish him, but I don't want to laud him too much either. I think we Lutherans rest on our laurels just a little too much, given what little impact we have had upon the modern world and how uh, decrepit and sideshowy we've become within American Christianity to say, well, Dr. Luther, Dr. Luther is kind of to miss the point that nobody cares. Why does nobody care? Is it just because Dr. Luther, Dr. Luther, or have we also fallen prey to the same problem? Are we really the church that's out there reforming the world? Or are we in need of reformation ourselves? Do we have the word of God? Have we kept it? Do we shout it from the rooftops? Or are we like those in Josiah's day who have all but forgotten that there's a book? Reformation is really about the daily repentance of the Christian. That every single day you wake up a sinner. You're saved by grace. You're baptized into Jesus Christ. That's all true. But at some point you have to remember that. That is, you have to go from thinking it's about me to, oh yes, Jesus saves. Daily by repentance, knowing you are regenerate in your baptism, you are reformed, or even, as Paul says it, transformed by the renewing of your mind. So reformations about the daily reminder of who you are in Christ, which is where these noble people in Berea are a marvelous example for us, that daily they search the scriptures to see if what was said about Jesus was true. I love it. I mean, no matter how much you know about what the Bible says, it's good to look at it again to see if it is true. Because it proves itself true, not only there on the page, but in your heart and in your mind. In this way, Reformation is also about your family, in which you stand as a confessor and a witness When you wake up and you believe you're a Christian again and you study and ponder the word of God, it inevitably will come out of your mouth. And the people who are nearest to you will be the ones who hear this. This is your family. 
And there will be seasons of strength and weakness throughout your family's life, times when you're really great at your devotional life together, times when you're not. Last Advent, we began in our family singing hymns during, right after dinner. And it was so lovely that we couldn't stop. I was kind of surprised by that, actually, but we, couldn't, we would keep singing one more hymn, one more hymn. Father, please, one more hymn. We went and we went all the way through till about mid-February, and we took one night off. And we haven't done it since. One night off. Kind of amazing, yes? Now, I could take that as, well, oh, we're so bad. Oh, how dare we forget? No, no, no. Advent's coming again. There are seasons of reformation. Grab them. That's the point here. Yeah, grab them. When the soil is fertile, sow. When you're in a dry and pasty land, we'll cling to what you got. Yeah. So Reformation is about your daily walk. Reformation is about your family's seasons. Reformation is about your congregation. What do you think happened when we decided to give up a building and put our hope strictly in the words and sacraments of Jesus here at St. Paul? Was it not a rediscovery of the book? Was it not a reformation of where we were going? Did it not transform who we are? And are we not a more, can I say it, joyful place than we were? Congregations go through seasons. And as things get really good, we tend to forget about where it came from. We tend to put our hope in ourselves and then things get really bad. And this takes 40 to 80 years. And it happens again and again throughout history. That's what, again, the story of Josiah shows. Hezekiah, one king, amazing reign, faithful people. Manasseh, one king, terrible reign, got really bad. Josiah, one king, it all came swinging back. So congregations need to go through reformations, meaning a rediscovery of who you are according to the Bible. And then that is what happened in 1517, 1530, 1500s, 1580, whatever you want to say it, whatever year you want to associate the Lutheran Reformation with, which if you're Reformed or you're Calvinist or you're, you're Methodist or you're Baptist, you still have to point to the Lutheran Reformation as the moment when it all started. What happened? Well, what happened is Luther discovered the Bible. He found the book. And as he was teaching the book, he realized not only that what his conscience was struggling with, which was how much he hated God, was solved by what the book said. But he also realized that that guy selling forgiveness for money was, was not saying what the book said. And everything else kind of comes from there. And, and the real impact that Luther then had on the world wasn't how he nailed 95 theses to a church door. That caused a problem, but that all would have blown over by now, if not for something else. Uh, I mean, have you read the 95 Thesis? I think not. And I don't blame you. I have, and it's not really worth your time. Uh, there's a couple good ones. It's important historically, but it would not have changed Western civilization and set it on the course of Christian belief that it ran up until, I don't know, was it 2020 or 1960? You pick. What did that was when Luther translated the Bible into the common language of the people. Because for that, up to that point, it had been well nigh a thousand years since anyone had tried to make the Bible readable again. The last guy to do it was a guy named Jerome. He put it into Latin. No one liked it when he did it either. They said, what are you doing? But he did it. And by a thousand years later, that was the only one you're allowed to read. And if you don't know Latin, too bad for you. And most of the priests didn't even know the Latin. 
So when Luther goes and puts it into the German, he opens up the sword of the Holy Spirit and put it into the hands of the people. And we are nowhere near a place like that now where you don't have that available. No one needs to do that work. We're still in a place where the Reformation that happened is strong enough to have its roots here. But that doesn't mean that we don't need any Reformation at all. And as you know, if you've begun reading your Bible this last year, uh, it's not always easy to do, right? Working with the sword takes effort and practice. And sometimes you feel bad and don't want to do it. And maybe you're one of those out there who's heard me say this enough times and all it's doing is beating your conscience up. So at home, you're like, oh, I should read my Bible. Pastor says I should read my Bible. I haven't done it, though, and I don't want to. And you're like, oh, that makes me feel bad. Well, yeah, it does. And it should, actually. Because if you're not going to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is yours, to protect your heart, mind, and soul against the wily attacks of the devil, well, then uh, you're going to forget. It's that simple. I mean, humans like to think we're super powerful, manifestors of our own destiny. I decide what I shall be, and I shall be it. And I mean, do I need to mention the agenda in the trans community and how far it's gone? And perhaps you've heard of the furries. And people think they're cats right now, and everyone says, good, good job. Or there's this little upside down out there. The point here is this. You're not really a manifester of your own destiny. The reason that trans kids have gone up like 37% in three to five years is commercials. Propaganda. What goes in comes out. So if all you're taking in is not the Bible, it's only a matter of three to seven to 15 to 40 years until all that comes out is not the Bible. And if in response to someone saying to you, read the Bible, you think that's too law heavy. Well, that thought isn't from Jesus. That's your flesh in rebellion against God's want to reform you. Again, back to the individual. Yeah. Now, we see all of this taking place in the book of Acts, in two different towns that are near each other, and the story of how those who are at the synagogue receive Paul. Remember, Paul is not the apostle to the Jews. Peter, James, John, they're all apostles to the Jews. Paul is the apostle to everyone who's not Jewish. The nations, the Gentiles, whatever you want to call them. Even so, Wherever Paul goes, he goes into the synagogue first. And he always gives the synagogue a chance. And it always kind of goes the same way. There's a couple people who believe, and the rest of them get pretty angry about it. And Thessalonica is no exception to this. They're so angry that they go to this guy Jason's house. Jason is the ruler of the synagogue who probably was listening to Paul. And they drag him out and take him to court. And they accuse him of treason against the king. Which comes with a death sentence, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, the, the, the authorities are okay to let you pay the fine. Sounds like Illinois, right? You know, oh, better not do it. Oh, pay the fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, the authorities are okay with that. They'll let Jason go. But uh, what happens again is that Paul has to leave that town. He leaves some Christians behind, but he leaves that town. And he goes down to Berea, where, again, our text, which, if you want to look at it, page 926 in your, in your pew Bible, we're just going to look at from verse 10 following, and then we're going to jump over and finish the morning with that Matthew text. Um, but the brothers, verse 10, uh, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. 
I mean, I don't, there's not a lot to say there about that, except just notice by night. Like, it's dangerous. Paul could die. Now, we know God's not going to let Paul die until later, but that doesn't mean Paul walks around like an idiot. You remember how he escaped one other time through a basket in a window outside the wall, right? What a life this guy lived. I was just talking with Meredith last night. We were driving home from an event, and, and uh, I was saying, you know what? Driving at night's dangerous. It's not safe. It's not the way driving during the day is. Driving during the day, driving during the day it's, it's kind of easier. I'm in a car. Now imagine walking between towns on roads made of dirt through the night. It's not something you do on purpose unless you have great need, which again, he's, he's going by night. He's great need. He's got to get out of town. Yeah. And when they arrived, what do they do? They go right to the place they just got in trouble, right? They go to the Jewish synagogue. Uh, the synagogue is worth talking about for just a moment here. The synagogue exists because of the exile. We spent a bunch of time about a year or two years ago talking about the history of the Old Testament, trying to get us to remember the two big pieces of the Old Testament are the Exodus and the exile. You, know, you got the patriarchs before the ex- Exodus. They become the Israelite people, they're brought out of Egypt, they settle the land, but they're given these promises and commands. They end up breaking them, and at the end, God sends them away in the exile. That is, Babylon, another nation, conquers them and takes them captive. After 70 years, they go back to the land, they settle the land, they rebuild the temple. But during that 70 years, there arises a habit of meeting together to hear the word of God somewhere other than the temple, which no longer existed. Now, before the exile, uh, how the word of God would have been taught still would have been by, uh, by preachers, by teachers, mainly by prophets is what they were called before the exile, uh, who would live in your town. And I don't know, on Sabbath day, did they get together and preach the word? Maybe, but it wasn't a synagogue yet. Okay, So the synagogues happen during this exile period. And as the Jews are scattered to the four winds, but mainly Babylon and Egypt, wherever they go, if there are ten of men, ten men together, then they uh, they support a rabbi, a teacher. Uh, ten men together can support a teacher. There's some wisdom in this, by the way. Twofold: one, if ten men all tithe, then whoever you would pay that total tithe would have the amount average of their salaries. Right? Ten men tithing support a pastor. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. Rabbi, again, they would call him. The other one, though, is, is based upon, I think, Abraham's argument with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. For ten righteous men, will you spare the city? God says, yes, for ten righteous men, I won't send any curses. So the Jews are like, well, if we've got ten of us here, and we all read the Bible together, we can trust the promises of Jesus. Yeah. So, so the synagogue arises, and it's a good thing. It's church. It's Jewish church before Jesus comes, from the, the exile until the return. Yeah. And wherever they would come together on Saturday, they would open the scriptures and they would have the learned elders, the rabbis, and particularly the, the whatever head elder would be, who would be the head rabbi, he would teach. He would speak on what the scriptures say. So they are the people who have the Bible. And Paul goes to the people who have the Bible. And he says, the guy the Bible said is coming, came. And he did all this stuff in front of everybody. And look, it's exactly what he said would happen. Born of a virgin, uh, rejected by his own, on and on. All those prophecies. In Berea, they believe it. 
In Thessalonica, they don't. Why? What's the difference? Well, it says in Berea, they looked at the Bible. <laughs> That's what it says. Yeah? Uh, in, in Thessalonica, they were jealous. Uh, the leaders and teachers didn't like the new guy's story. In Thessalonica, in Berea, they were more noble, it says again. Right? Um, verse 11. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Something tells me that that was not when they started examining the scriptures daily. Does that make sense? Something tells me they were already looking at the scriptures regularly. And something tells me that those who were in these other places, uh, well, they weren't. Not in the same way, at least. They were maybe looking for the answer they wanted for the problem they had, but were they looking for God's mercy in the Bible? Probably not. But those who were, when they heard that it had come, the Holy Spirit had an open door to convert them to the faith, to bring them to an understanding of who Jesus is. And therefore, many of them believed, verse 12, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. It does mention that uh, women, Greek women of high standing in both Thessalonica and Berea. And what that probably means is wealthy or like noble right? Having some uh, higher social status. I've said this before. I know we like to think today that that we're all equal, right? We're all equal and we're all middle class, which is great, but it's really not so true. I mean, it's a nice story, Uh, but there are all sorts of social strata and classes in in the United States. And if you ever find yourself outside of your class, you'll, you'll feel it, you'll know it. You'll know where you don't belong. And it's not all bad. It's not all good. It's about tribalism and culture and how people in different groups establish their own priorities. And people with a lot of money have certain expectations. Huh? I mean, and I'm talking more money than you have, any of you, right? They have certain expectations that you don't have. Any case, well, some of those people, though, at the time who were Roman citizens or what have you, they're spending time around the synagogue because for all of their money, they realize they need a true God. And so as God-fearing people, they're seeking that true God in the scriptures of the Jews. And when they hear about Jesus, they believe that he's that God. And not a few of them did on this day, especially in Berea. But notice then how dissatisfied those who hate the scriptures are. When uh, When the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Uh, I've I've said this before. If you want to be a Christian, you're going to upset some people. It's going to happen. If you want to hold to what the Bible says, somebody somewhere isn't going to like it. And because they don't fight fair, because they're actually working for the devil, and maybe not on his payroll, but what they're actually doing his will, they're going to try to get you to stop believing what the Bible says. What they're going to do. And they'll do it any way they can. They're not going to do it necessarily by trying to convince you. That would be hard. It's much easier to pressure you. It's much easier to manipulate you. It's much easier to attack you. One of the great threats that young Christians have when they go off to college is the fact that many professors have made this their goal. And they don't do it nicely. They use all the power they have to shame you in front of the class into thinking that what you believe is stupid. If you're not ready, it's going to hurt more. If you're ready, you go in with your sword. You know what you believe. 
You defend your heart. You put that shield up. Yeah? So it's not that you can't survive in the world when the world is persecuting you, but beware. What normally happens when you believe the Bible, some will believe it with you and some will not. And those who don't, don't expect them to laud you for it. If they hated Jesus, why would they like you? Huh? So uh, they, they come to persecute Paul. They stir up the crowds. The brothers immediately send him off by the sea uh, down to Athens where the story goes on. Athens is its own uh, neat development there. Maybe, maybe someday we'll take a journey through the book of Acts together here at St. Paul, but, but not today. Uh, today what I want is you to grab that Berean idea. And let me, let me see if I can just annoy you for a second here too. Uh, move my stand here. Annoy you for a second. If you go out here to, to Riverside and Springfield, the corner where the name changes, and you turn left and, and follow back down toward uh, the, the bypass so you can go back to the other side of town, uh, on that way, you're going to pass, if I'm not mistaken, Berean Baptist Church. Eh, it's been there a long time, probably bigger than we are, has a school. I don't hear much about Berean Baptist Church, though. No one talks about it. It's not city first, right? It's not state line or anything like that. But it, it's sitting there. It's sitting there. Now, all I want is for every time you go by that church, for you to go, we read the Bible at my church. Now, I don't know. Maybe they do read the Bible there. I hope they do. I don't want you to hate Berean Baptist Church. I think they're wrong about baptism, probably. Uh, there's a good chance that they don't teach that the body and blood of Jesus is in the bread and wine of the sacrament of the altar. There's a good chance that they teach you that you need to make a decision for Jesus and give your heart to Jesus or you can't be saved. All of those things are just dead wrong. But, but all I want is for you to say, wait, 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 Lutheran means that. You can put Brian on the sign all you want, but Lutheran is and always has meant we search the scriptures. That's why I go to St. Paul Berean Church. Uh, we just call it Lutheran because, well, that's our history. All right. So with that being said, let's search the scriptures a little more by looking at our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 7. This is on page 812 of your pew Bible. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous thing Jesus said as a whole, still quoted today by people who don't believe a word of what he said. I just finished reading a, a book by a gentleman named Jordan Peterson uh, called 12 Rules for Life. It's, it's okay. It's got some really good. It's got some mediocre, but it's, in, it's stunning. He quotes Jesus so much. He quotes Jesus all the time. He's not always right in how he quotes Jesus. He gets the context wrong, but he quotes him all the time. And the, the vast majority of quotes from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not without reason that this is famous. It's not without reason that some of the things Jesus says in it are all but proverbs to this day in, in American society. So uh, we're not going to go through the whole sermon, but we're going to go through the end, right? This is the conclusion. We're going to start at, uh, at verse 15 and go through to the very conclusion, verse 27. And the point I want to drive home is the same point I've been driving home all day, that Reformation is discovery of the word of God. And here Jesus is going to say two things. He's going to say, first off, watch out for those who tell you they're Christians but don't care a whit for the word of God. 
Watch out for those who say to you, I come in God's name, and then they lie. Know that that's normal. There's lots of it. Beware. Just because someone comes saying, I believe in Jesus, doesn't mean that they do. It's the first thing. Second thing he's going to say is, so build your house on what I actually said. Know what I've actually preached. Hear the word of God and keep it. And to do that is to be, well, founded on the rock, right? Standing firm. Uh, It's been our message here at St. Paul for the last several years. It was the first theme that we started putting together this year, blood-bought. But blood-bought because I'm built on the rock, right? Like a tree planted by streams of water because I'm built on the rock. So uh, he's going to say, build your house on the rock. In the midst of this, there's a third thing that's between the two, and it's a warning, and I'll talk more about that when we get there. Okay, so the first section, beware of false prophets. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So so what's the definition of a false prophet? Is, Is the high Wiccan lord of night or the leader of the temple of Satan down in Texas, uh, is he a false prophet? Not according to this definition. Those are just pagans. Yeah? Those, are just, those are just wicked men. Yeah? Or women, as the case may be. Uh, but a false prophet, he comes to you in sheep's clothing. Uh, a false prophet says, I'm a Christian. It's the first step. Uh, so you got pagans, you got liars, you got wicked men and sorcerers. They're bad, don't get me wrong, they're bad. But what Jesus says right now is watch out for Christians who lie. Who say, follow me, not the word of Jesus. They come in that sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. That is, they're going to eat you. They're going to chew you up. One of the things that's probably worth noting about humans, right? And this is sort of like relationship advice. so, So take it with a grain of salt here. There are people who want to be your friend because they want to be your friend. They like you. And then there are people who want to be your friend because they need you to make them feel better. They need to use you. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean you don't want to be their friend. But sometimes they won't be your friend unless you do what they say. And that's sort of how the false prophet operates. In order to justify himself, he needs you to change. In order for him to feel like he is a Christian, he needs you to do what he needs, what he's trying to do, so that he can feel surrounded by those who agree with him. And so, as a result, it's not enough for you just to believe what the Bible says. You've got to look like him, you've got to talk like him, you've got to act like him. No fish on Friday, or no meat on Fridays, right? No meat on Fridays. You've got to follow all the rules. The ravenous wolf is an important image because you need to know that those who say they're Christians but are not and say words that are not Christian as if they were from Christ aren't doing it for you. They're doing it for themselves. And if it hurts you, they don't care. They need to justify themselves. Beware. Verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Now, I mean, 
to be sure here, this can revolve around actions. So if somebody is, well, I'll tell a story. Uh, there was um, there was a, a, a intramural program at the seminary that I went to, and we would play flag football on Friday afternoons in the fall. It was great. This kind of weather we're having right now, a bunch of guys playing flag football is amazing. Um, there was one time when I saw one guy who was a quarterback. Uh, he was he was a first year. He was his first year of seminary. He was the quarterback of his team. And uh, I'm playing on one field, and I hear this yelling going on. He's storming around, shouting, yelling. He takes the ball, and he kicks it into the parking lot, and he storms off the field. Well, he... He didn't graduate from seminary, um, our seminary, I should say. Uh, you could say that was bad fruit. That, it was. I mean, the, the fits of rage, not good fruit. But that's, that's really not what this is about. I mean, I, let me tell you a more easy story. I didn't have to go quite that far. Uh, if the pastor is having an affair with a secretary, chalk it up to bad fruit. That's bad fruit for sure. My golly, here's another story. Uh, this one's really unbelievable. One of my classmates, his first call was as an associate pastor, was out east, far out east. He's associate pastor at this church, and he is invited to a party with the staff. And um, read between the lines, adults, it was a swingers party. Whole staff. He lasted about six, eight, seven months. He had to resign his call, and then he was blamed politically. Right, because of course they're not going to say why why he was resigning, and no one believed him. Bad fruit, huh? Not good for the church. But okay, so it's true. Bad fruit is an expression of your faith. But what is the bad fruit he's warning about most here? It's those who don't say what the scripture says. Why is a swingers party bad? It's because it's committing adultery, and the Bible says don't commit adultery. So the teacher who says it's okay to commit adultery, bad fruit. But the bad fruit starts where? With his mouth, yeah, with his heart, with what he believes or does not believe. So when Jesus says you will know them by their fruit, that is false teachers, it means you will know them by what they say. And what they say will not be what the Bible says. Yeah. All right, so uh, continuing on, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You're not going to get the proper distinction between law and gospel from a false teacher. You're not going to get a teacher telling you that you're saved by Jesus Christ from someone who doesn't believe it. You're certainly not going to get someone exhorting you to read the Bible by someone who doesn't read it himself. Think about that. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. The diseased tree bears bad fruit. This is where do believe that your good fruit is what Jesus does. He's going to make you bear good fruit. It's not, you don't got to go home and like try to make good fruit. It is when you hear the word of God and believe it, that's good fruit. And that seed, that good seed that Jesus is sowing into you, it's going to come forward. It's going to come forth so that when something truly wicked happens, you're going to be like, that's wicked. Huh? Bad tree bears bad fruit. If you don't have the word of God in you, how great is that darkness? And if all you take in, if all you see, if all you listen to is lies, what do you expect is going to come out of your mouth? Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Same idea, just repeated. Verse 8, 19 now, he shifts a little. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, that is every tree that rejects the word of God, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, 
he's just speaking about trees for a second, right? I mean, if you got a dead tree in your backyard, what do you do? You cut it down, you throw it in the fire. So if you got an unbelieving human being who resists the Holy Spirit and refuses to believe the word of God, what's God going to do? He's going to throw him in the fire. This is what he says. Throw them in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Huh? That they're going to be cut down. And now, again, to double emphasize that with verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Huh? That's, this is really something. Jesus says, just because you call out to me doesn't mean you know who I am. And every time you hear this, let there be just a little bit of fear. Right? Is it me, Lord, that you're talking about? And you know where that question comes from, right? On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he says, one of you will betray me. All 12 of them said, is it me? But one of them said it later than the others, and he knew it was him, and he was putting on a show when he said it. The others authentically asked, oh, is it, is it me? Huh? So you want to ask that question. That's a faithful thing to do. But then you also want to have enough knowledge of the scripture to tell yourself, no, it's not me. I am not the one who says, Jesus, Jesus but I don't know who he is. Why? Because I listen to what he says. Because his word is true. Because when I come to it and I don't like it, I know I'm wrong, not it. And I want it to bend me and mold me and feed me and change me. It's one of the great things about praying the Psalms. Really, the last two years, I've, I've thrown myself into that. And there are Psalms you will come to and you'll say to yourself, I don't know how to pray that. Pray it anyway. Do it again and again and again. And next time, next year, two years down, you come to that same psalm and you know how to pray it. You love praying it suddenly. It, it wakens you. It, it builds you here. Yeah. So don't walk away today asking, is it me? Am I the one Jesus is talking about? Hear the warning. He's saying there are those out there who say I'm Christians and they don't know who I am. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, I kind of just said, I didn't know if I'd do this in the sermon or not. I said it over there, but here we go. I'll say it again. Our official position as St. Paul Lutheran Church is in line with the official position of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is in line with the official position of every single historic Protestant movement in the entire world, which is that the Pope is the Antichrist. Why? Well, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, doesn't the Pope do the will of Jesus? Not when he says, if you don't submit to me, you can't get to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's very against the will of Jesus. Huh? Not when he says, pray to Mary instead of Jesus. Not when he says, buy forgiveness of sins. So all those, he's not saying what Jesus said. So our, our statement about the Pope being the Antichrist is not really meant to say that he's the one single individual person who is the end times Antichrist. The Bible doesn't even say such a person exists. But there is a man who stands up publicly in the church and teaches falsely. And at this point in history, and really every point of history since he's been around, if you ask any non-Christian, who's the head of Christianity? Who are they going to say? Not Pastor Fisk, I'll tell you that. Huh? They're going to say the Pope. And yet, is he? No, he's not. But he says he is, right? So this is why we say he's in the seat of the Antichrist, and you should beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. 
He sure looks like he's the head of the church. He sure got large churches all over the planet doing what he says. Yeah, no meet on Fridays again. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. On that day, verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, these are people who think they're chasing Jesus, but they're not really chasing his word. Look what they're doing. It's, it doesn't say, Lord, did we not read the Bible and believe what it said? That's not what they say. It's, did we not prophesy? Didn't we say new things in your name? Not what the Bible says. Right? Do we not cast out demons? That's really something. I mean, actually, Satan driving out Satan? That's really something. But it seems to be that that's a sign of a false prophet. The demons got a little, got a little clever. They realized they could fake it. Yeah? And they give that power to somebody who will stand up and lie in Jesus' name, and then they'll, they'll put on a great show. And, and make no mistake, uh, dark arts exist, and they can do things that are supernatural. They can't do what God does, uh, but they can do things that are enough to bewilder you. Yeah? Um, casting out demons being one, it would seem, and many mighty works, even some forms of miracle. Yeah? I will declare to them, verse 23, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Now, whether this is about the Pope or whether this is about Benny Hinn, you know, some charismatic preacher who's casting out demons left and right. I'll let Jesus be the final judge of everybody individually. But what I want us to do is take this. Now, listen carefully. I'm going to say a word, but I mean it. I want everyone to take this damn seriously. Because that's what it's about. Huh? If you are a worker of lawlessness, you're not a Christian. What is lawlessness? Well, sin is lawlessness, but don't, I don't, it doesn't mean sinner. It means one who doesn't take what God's word says to be true. This is my body. No, it's not. It can't be. Mm, that's the first step into lawlessness right there. I mean, I can make some other ones, you know. Uh, the world was created in six days. No, no, no. That's just a metaphor. Huh? What are you doing? Huh? Jonah was really swallowed by a fish. No, it's a story. Hmm. Uh, here, here's a, I'll tell you one more story. We're almost out of time here, but um, my first call was in New Jersey. And New Jersey is a historic district in terms of, in the LCMS, we harbored the Seminex grads in New Jersey. That is, guys who should have left because they didn't believe the Bible was true. They should have gone to the ELCA in the 80s. They didn't. And they stayed in New Jersey and the Pacific Northwest. And I was surrounded by these guys in my first call. And I went early to a circuit meeting, my first circuit meeting, and I sat down with one of these guys. I didn't know at the time he didn't believe the Bible was true, but over the course of the conversation, he, he, we got into it a little bit, and I, I'm a new guy. I was just kind of listening, um, but, but he says to me, yeah, no, Jonah, Jonah didn't really exist. The fish didn't really exist. It's all a symbol. It's all a metaphor, and this has never impacted my faith, and I just kind of like shook my head. You know, I'm the new guy. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you in your, in your office. He came to the circuit meeting that was at my church. Um, a couple months later, I don't know what I preached on, but I know I preached on the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason I know that is he came up to me afterwards. And he said, you know, I haven't preached on the resurrection for a long time. I should do that. Didn't impact my faith. Forgot about the resurrection. Huh? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, take it seriously. 
Know that you're calling on him in rightness and truth, but then hear what he says next. Build your house on the rock, right? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Does them. Let's not get caught up in works righteousness here. He's not saying you have to perfectly keep the law. He's saying hear the word of God and believe it. When it says don't murder, don't murder. When it says Jesus is risen, say hallelujah. He is risen. Alleluia. So doing the word of God is about confessing the word of God. It's about believing the word of God. We just got to get off this thing. We're always pitting works against faith. That's the, the Pope's game. And forget that the game is wrong. Jesus wants you to believe what the Bible says. Everyone who believes what the Bible says builds his house on a rock. And the rain falls, the flood comes, the winds blow, they beat on the house. It does not fall because it was founded on the rock. Let's run that through what I said earlier about your personal life, your family, your congregation, and the church at large. Yeah? Start with you, your personal life. Why am I just beating on you with the idea you should read the Bible? Because I want you to build your daily life on the, on the rock. And I honestly don't care if you understand everything you read. I honestly don't care if you read the whole Bible. I just want you to read some of it. I mean, I've said this before, but let it sink in. Just pick one book. Uh, pick a large one. Acts, Matthew, Psalms. And just read like 10 verses every day. And when you get to the end, start over. Just do that for six months, seven months. See if you don't start to find things. See if you don't start to be inspired. Yeah. Build your personal life on the rock. Get in the word. Yeah. And then the family. Right. In a day when so many things are tearing families apart, where I don't think, unless you're only watching CNN, and forgive me, but it's true, unless you're only watching CNN, you cannot believe the family is not under attack in our country. You cannot possibly tell me that there aren't people out there trying to attack the family. It's in the charter for Black Lives Matter that fatherhood is bad. It's in their charter. Yeah. That they are, I think, that actual black American lives matter very much. That's why I'm against abortion. But I think that that organization is a Marxist front, because it is. And they say so. You cannot believe that the family is not under attack. So guard yours. Guard yours. There's a lot of ways you could do that, but let me tell you, you got to control the messaging. And part of that's by having the good messaging at home, which means you got to open the Bible, not only alone in a corner, but in front of the family with the family, talk about it somehow, somewhere. Make it that you actually believe it in front of them. You might also want to turn off the pipeline from time to time. There's a lot of sludge coming through the pipeline. And what you watch, what you listen to. So, your own personal walk, what you're doing as a family, your congregation, right? Why am I harping on this? And I really do feel like I am at this point. I feel like I've said it and I've said it and I've said it, and I think I have to keep saying it. Is because I want St. Paul Lutheran Church to endure well beyond me. I do not want this place to in any way be a cult of my personality. I think that would be a disaster. And I know the only way that's going to happen is if what you all believe is more than just what I tell you every week. If what you all believe is what the Bible says, well, then I can come and go. I can get shot. I can get in a car accident. I can, I can do whatever. I, you know, fly off to heaven. I'm not going to, but you know. I'd be gone, and it'd be okay. Huh? Build the house on the rock. And then for the American Christian church, 
I mean, this has been something that's been called out in a lot of corners for a long time. Uh, you can walk into all sorts of places, and the guy's going to open the Bible, he's going to read one verse, and he's going to talk about something else for 45 minutes. Uh, probably about how to make more money or how to have a good marriage life or something like that. Those aren't all bad, but it's not what the Bible says. Or uh, we'll share it a different way here. Um, another story, and, and this one is public. Uh, I got uh, an email uh, question for the show that Meredith and I do on Saturday morning, Stop the White Noise. And, and the, uh, the question was about uh, from a young woman at a Lutheran church, and uh, she had been going to the women's midweek Bible study. And her question was about all the gossip and, and cynicism and hatred of the pastor that she heard from the mouths of the women at the women's Bible study, which I wish I could say that was the first time I've heard of that. Um, it's not. Uh, but but that, that isn't the whole point. And, and the reason I'm really bringing it up is at the women's Bible study, they were reading a book about anxiety. Now, I bet you that there are Bible quotes in that book about anxiety, but I want to tell you, it's not a Bible study. It's a book study. I'm not even going to tell you that book studies are wrong. They're not. A book study is fine. But notice how they called it a Bible study. So if the American Christian church wants to not be run over by the progressive secular nonsense, we've got to put a little less hope in the red wave and a little more hope in let's read our Bibles together as churches. Let's believe that when Berean Baptist Church reads their Bible, if they do, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they're wrong about this, that, and the other thing. Let's pray for City, City, uh, City First Church down there and their Christian day school as much as we pray for our Lutheran day school that Reformation would come to them both. Because to be frank, our Lutheran day school is not very Lutheran and sometimes maybe isn't very Christian. And state line, they're sitting there trying to do what they can do to be a Christian church. I think they're wrong about this, that, and the other thing, but I'm glad they're there. I don't want to imagine a day where we're the only ones left. Things would not be good. So, read your Bible. Read your Bible to your kids. Come to this church and be glad that we read the Bible here. And pray for the other Christians in Rockford and other Lutherans throughout the world that we would all discover this, just like Josiah. Find that book. Rend the garment of the heart. Say to Jesus Christ, what shall we do? And then open the scriptures. Um, not like we believe them, but because we believe them. In the name of Jesus.